Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is Jarrell Mason and another episode of Beyond the Album Cover, where you get inside the entertainment industry with those in the know and give people their flowers while they're here to be celebrated. Yeah. With me right now, I have brothers from the Quad Cities of Davenport, Iowa. Shout out to Iowa and all the Cyclones and Hawkeye fans. You know, you know. So they've been on the scene for years with their debut album in 1993, BAM, released on Andem Records, produced by Eric, Fred Hammond, and other hosts, and they put out bomb albums such as Necessary Measures in 94, Focus in 98, From Now On in 2011, and they got a brand new project that they're about to hit you over the head with, Come By Here. We're going to talk about that and more with my distinguished guests on Beyond the Album Cover, the brothers Anson and Eric, better known as Dawkins and Dawkins. Welcome to Beyond the Album Cover, gentlemen. What's up? What's up? Thank you, man. Thank you. That intro was was amazing. Man, yes, I was. man, I appreciate you guys coming on, man. But um, I want to start off by saying Davenport, Iowa, the Quad Cities. Now, I don't really know too many black people from Iowa besides you guys and Tracy Spencer, who's from Waterloo. So tell me about what it was like growing up in Iowa in the Midwest and also in the Pentecostal church. And any one of you guys can take this question. We all know what it was like to grow up in. <laughs> Listen, we were born in Davenport, um, but after my father got his first church, um, we moved to Columbia, Tennessee, just south of Nashville, like maybe 40 minutes south of Nashville. Um, when we were being answered, we were four and five. Um, we do have memories of Davenport, though. I remember walking to school in the snow uh, in kindergarten, walking to school by ourselves. Like it was a whole different, it was a different time back then. You won't see no two little four and five year old kids walking themselves to school today. It just don't happen. But I I have those type of memories from Davenport, and you know we have family there. So, um, but we were raised in Columbia, Tennessee, and then from there we moved to Ohio, which is where my parents are now. Uh, my father pastors a church there in Steubenville, and from there we kind of branched off. Anson went to school at, at Youngstown State University, so he was in Youngstown for a while. I moved to Detroit in 90 um, when we started working with commission and then from there i moved to los angeles in 96. so i've been in, in los angeles since 96. that's pretty much the majority of my life okay and you went you know, our grand, our grandmother was a grandmother was a pastor there in uh in illinois rock island illinois so we we were connected there. I mean, we have some memories of being there and, and uh, growing up, you know, you know, those young years. Uh, but, you know, most of our formative years were spent in, in Tennessee, between Tennessee and Ohio. Okay, so now splitting time between the South and the Midwest, what were some of your musical influences growing up? Did you guys listen to whatever was on the radio? Was it primarily what was coming on your local gospel station, AM, FM, like Andre Crouch, James Cleveland, so on and so forth? Well, we didn't listen to a lot of radio because my parents had records, records and eight-track tapes. So we listened to all those people you named on record so we would be in the house and that's what would be spinning in the house so um uh, of course andre crouch was a big a huge influence andre crouch and rance allen and the hawkins singers those were like the the ones that i think pretty much the beginning of the recipe that 
you know, you now see as Dawkins and Dawkins. Um, and, you know, when, as we were getting older, we would, you know, we'd sneak and listen to a little R&B here and there. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, we were, our, our, our taste or palette for music was really formed by Rance Allen, the Hawkins singers and Andre Crouch. Mm -hmm. And now we mentioned those names and how they were able to blend R&B and gospel and it was starting to get crossover play beyond just your gospel radio stations. And also too, if you listen to Aretha Franklin's Amazing Grace album, Reverend James Cleveland behind it. And can we talk about the impact of those artists you just named and how they were a part of that first wave of gospel artists that were able to blend gospel and R&B where at the time it was on separate sides of the room and they didn't really meet in the middle too much. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it's interesting because you had you had artists like like Hawkins and Edwin Hawkins, you know, the first uh had to be the first big gospel song that was that, that hit mainstream on Happy Day. Um and moving in those in those areas and Dance Allen was doing I didn't even really realize it until, you know, he passed, you know, some videos and he was at these big festivals and stuff, you know, with, with the artists, he was doing stuff like that. I mean, we knew he was amazing, but he was also, you know, received well by, you know, mainstream audience and a lot of his uh, projects that were, that started moving in that, in that direction very strongly. Uh, I remember, uh, Eric will probably remember this as well, but, I remember uh, he had a project and, uh, called uh, California Gold on it, and you know he had some other really cool songs on it. But they were they were they were mainstream songs, straight up. Uh, and you had Andre Krause that was doing stuff that his his project, uh, the one project that really developed on that was Hollywood scene on it and. and uh, uh, Hollywood scene, and uh, he had a song about abortion on there. I mean, it was just he was just doing you know some different things. So uh, you know those those artists uh, doing that type of music um, gave up, you know created a, a, a desire in us as well. You know, as we kind of grew up and we look back, we're like, okay, they were doing this kind of stuff. Oh, we we want to do this as well. Our desire to do to do music after growing up in the church and doing music at church, and then seeing okay, the, the gospel has to get out. You know, we don't want you know, we're not a, a group for the church. We believe that our our music would you know could be well suited for the church. People can you know they can get with it, but really the who we really want to to, to uh, hear and connect with our music are people who are outside of the church. You know, because we're not, I mean, we we grew up in church and as you can, you know, as you're a PK and everything, you know how that flows. You know, we, you can become insular, you can become insulated and, and uh, incestual almost, you know, you just, everybody's just, you know, you just rubbing up against each other and it's, it's this, whole inside church thing that nobody else gets. You're not relative outside of that. And I think that's what 
a lot of those artists ended up doing. They became, they wanted to become more relevant to what was outside because they believed they had some, they had a great message. They believed they had good news and they wanted to share it. It wasn't so they would be, so they could be like secular artists. They felt like they had something that, to offer, something that was beautiful, something that was wonderful and could change lives. So they, they stepped out of, the, out of the comfort zone and stepped out of, out of where uh, people were gonna be always giving them accolades. And sometimes it was gonna be, they were gonna be ostracized. So it, it's, not, it's not an easy thing. And we, we walked through it as well. And in some instances, we can we continue to walk through. Mm, Eric, do you have anything you want to add on what Anson stated? He he said pretty much what it was. Um, we we've often been labeled as as trailblazers and uh, trendsetters and pioneers, whatever you want to call it, and to be to be placed in in that category, you know, it, it's. It's flattering, like, because that's the same thing they said about the Andre Crouches and the Rans Allens and the Hawkins singers and stuff like that. So for us, it just it just meant that we were doing exactly what we were supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm, definitely, indeed. So earliest church memory, uh, church solo, did you guys do the solo thing before doing the duo in church or was it always we're going to be a duo? The trio. Yeah, we used to sing with my mom, so we always sang together. Like yeah, my mom. that's how I started. Yeah. We started out singing, uh, uh, I think our first, one of our first songs was uh, was by a group out of Houston uh, called BCNS. And uh, it was, the song was called, uh, uh, uh he has never failed me yet. Never failed me yet. So, you know, I, I remember, I don't know what the future holds. I don't know about today. So it was a very, it, it was a very cool song. We, it was like a, a three, it was a trio that was doing it out of Houston. And then we had an, uh, another group that we, we did more of their songs than anybody else's. It was a group called the Pentecostal Ambassadors. And they were from uh, the Indianapolis area, and they were, you know, Pentecostal Pentecostal singers, and you know they were connected. We were all in the same uh, organization and everything, and we uh, we loved what they did. So we did some of their material, um, but those were, you know, we would find songs like you know that were you know that were trios, and we would do it with my mom, and uh, during uh, services, my dad would go preach somewhere. And we would we would all go. The family would all go, and we would we would sing first, and then he would come up and preach. So it was it was a family affair. Okay. And we're gonna go to the three one three. Everybody knows that Detroit is Motown, but they got legendary. I repeat, legendary gospel heavyweights: the Winans, Commission, Clark Sisters. Jay Moss, we mentioned Aretha, and Eric, you mentioned earlier about Fred Hammond, and as I stated at the top of the intro, he uh, produced you guys' debut album, which came out in 93 on AM. So how did it go about you all linking up with Fred Hammond, and can we talk about the impact of Commission? Um, the, the connection to Fred, we actually did a demo at, um, 
at the radio station that my father owned and cut to a friend of ours that we were, uh, that asked us to sing with her and play in her band from, well, she was in Detroit. So we drove to Detroit to do rehearsal with her and we let her hear the demo. And she was like, oh, I need to let Fred hear this. So Fred, she took us to Fred's house and played the demo for Fred. And basically from just hearing the demo, heard the potential. Well, I, I stand on this today. That demo was horrible. It was awful. <laughs> if I could hear it today, I'm sure I would probably be sick to my stomach. But he saw some potential in it and he basically hired us on the spot like to be part of commission. Part, uh, part of the band, rather. I played keys, man, and played percussions, and we sang background with commission. So we went on the road with them for a few years, and then at the same time started working on our, our debut project. Um, but uh, commission's influence on us is, it's probably paramount to, to anybody else's influence because once we heard them, it stuck. It, like, it was like a, a light bulb went on, like, that's what we want to do right there. Of course, we were influenced by a lot of people, but um, I think the, the, the final tip, the tipping point was hearing commission and realizing that that's something that we need to do. Yeah, do you want to expound upon that, uh, Anson? Well, I mean, I just feel like commission was such a huge part of our development. We, we heard commission. Um, I mean, we heard the whiners first, of course, but we, you know, it was like a progression. You know, you know Andrew Crouch, you got, you know, the ambassadors that you listen to, and then it was finance, and then commission came along, and we felt we felt a a greater connection with commission for just because they just had they they had a song they had a sound that that uh, that was more relatable to us, um, and they were just different. You know, they were different. You know, it was like you know we we want to do this, do this, like, you know, kind of emulate those guys. And we would do their songs. We had a couple groups when we started and we would, uh, we would sing their songs. We did a couple of songs, but most of the songs were commission songs. And then we wrote, a, we wrote two or three songs ourselves. And, and uh, commission had the greatest influence on us and they, they still do. If you hear some of our music, now, hear some things that are in in our uh of our new project that uh that have yeah because i didn't get on the commission train till late but when i listened to them i'm like if you didn't know that this was gospel they were a clear-cut r&b group with their look and their vocals and when i interviewed mitchell i told them groups like shy jodeci boys to men intro all stated their name as the biggest influence, even if you go back and listen to I'm Still Waiting on Forever My Lady, KC mm -hmm. takes a lick from running back to you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep, very much so. They were all very heavily influenced as we were. And any of the gospel groups that uh, were out, that came out during our time, uh, when we first came out, whether it be, uh, whether it be Men of Standard, uh, whether it be uh, uh, New Vision, there was uh, 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 several different groups, but they were all, you know, very much influenced by Commission. Commission had a signature sound, 
and uh, they they had a strong impact on, on all those R&B mm-hmm. So what was that process like going to the studio, cutting that 93 debut album, which was released on AM? And what was the feedback within gospel circles and outside of gospel circles on the debut? Um, well, it was our first time in studio, in a real studio. Um, Fred actually took us to a couple of different, like, historic kind of studios in Detroit. We worked on the first record. And then um, uh, I think the, the latter portion of the record was was done in a studio that he built um, out in Southfield, Michigan. Um, but it was, it was, it was, it was cool. I mean, we, we were at home. Like we, we felt we fit right in that mold of like the whole studio life. We, uh, of course, Studio A, one of the famous studios out of Dearborn, Michigan, is where Commission cut a lot of their stuff. So even going in that studio, I think that's what was really the the aha moment. Like this is where Commission cuts their vocals and all their songs, and us being in the studio with them and cutting the songs because they had their process, they would sing together. Like they would all be in the booth at the same time singing. Like, so they would go over the harmonies and stuff before they would actually start recording or you know, kind of be learning on the, on the spot. So it was really cool just being in the studio with them doing that. So by the time we got to us really doing the, the meat of our project, we had been in the studio with Commission you know, working on number seven. So it was really, really cool. Learned a lot. Yeah, definitely a learning experience. Yes, absolutely. Now I mentioned the album came out in 93, so you still had the hints of the new Jack Swing sound. And for me, my first introduction to gospel music as a young kid, I remember being five or six, rolling in my dad's Honda, and he had the Winans Return on cassette. And I saw on the back, Teddy Riley, Bernard Bell, and I'm a huge Teddy Riley fan. And for me to hear that album and then to hear your guys' stuff, Commission, John P. Key, Company with uh, Donald Lawrence, uh, Angel, and How, produced by Stanley Brown, and how New Jack Swing really made a big impact in gospel. And that album, that debut, I feel was a great tone setter for you all. Come to Me was my favorite cut off the debut. So what led to the switch? from AM to CGI, was it to where you felt the majors really necessarily didn't get how to promote and market gospel artists and that small independent labels got it? Because I believe the only other gospel artists that was associated on AM at that time, I'm sure Jimmy and Terry, Jimmy Jan and Terry Lewis had a joint venture deal with AM for Perspective, which was the label that Sounds of Blackness was on. The interesting thing about that is that we were actually signed to Benson Records initially. Benson Records was a Christian label, one of the biggest Christian labels that was out at that particular time, which that was where Commission was, that was where Fred Hammond was. Um, So what happened was that Benson, uh, there was a, there was, that was an inner, um, inner company thing. We, we never had any kind of connection with uh, CGI or A&M. That was a deal that the record company had with uh, those, those particular companies. So we were just signed to Benson uh, 
And then we were, after we left Benson, then we moved over to uh, Harmony Records uh, for our 1998 project. But before that, like the, the, the Dawkins and Dawkins project and the Necessary Measures project, those were, uh, those were both on Benson, but Benson had some kind of deal with A&M and CGI. So that was just a different thing. Okay, okay so it's kind of like a distribution deal? Yeah. yeah. Okay. And let's talk about the 94 album, going into the studio after the debut, knowing that, man, we got to come harder than we did before. For us, I think it, even today, we, we're different. We're different. We don't, we don't measure what we do now up against what we've done before. Mm. And a lot of people try to come out and say, I gotta, I gotta outdo the last record. The last record had, had these jams on it. I gotta do something better than that. I don't, I, we don't go into it with that mindset. Uh, we really go into the process with just, let's just make some great songs. Let's just make some great music that people can, you know, they, they can vibe to or, or, or something that people can relate to or some really stuff that feels good to us is what we do. Um, and I think the fact that we love what we do, it comes across as out doing the last record, you know, the last project that we did. Um, but it's, it's really not anything other than, you know, the, the natural, pro natural progression of, you know, being in the music industry, you have to evolve, you have to be able to to grow as a musician, as a songwriter, as an arranger, you have to grow. And I think that um, each one of our projects we've grown. And I think mostly because there's so much time in between, you know, the majority of our projects, 93 and 94, that was the closest together any of the projects we ever done. And from then we started, you know, kind of spacing it out. And, you know, whether it was due to circumstances or it was just that we felt like we didn't want to do anything until we were absolutely ready. Mm -hmm. I understand the feeling. You definitely want to make sure that it's nice and good before it go out to the public. You remember how back in the day, Big Mama, Grandma, be in the kitchen cooking that big Sunday dinner, and she smack you on the hand like, no, boy, you can't have that. It's not ready yet. But when done. it's good and ready, done. it's good and ready, and it's long yeah. worth the wait. So let's talk about yeah. the 98 album. Focus and how you guys linked up with uh, Jay Moss. Well, you know, we we already knew Jay, so uh, everybody that was working on that project, we were already friends with, we were already connected with. Jay, we actually ended up meeting Jay uh, when we went to the UK with uh, the Clark sisters, and Jay was singing background for the Clark sisters. So he was with with them. So we were we were together for I, I probably almost a week um, when we were out in uh, mm -hmm. hey and we were on these, you know, we did this, you know, had some bus things tour we, buses. You know, tour buses and we'd be sitting it was I remember funny we in the back of the tour bus and having runoffs in the back of the tour bus. <laughs> with, uh, Dave Moss and Eric and who else was uh Dorinda? Dorinda, yep, and uh, 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 Pam, Pam, uh, Pam was Pam that, Taylor. Yeah. 
Uh, so Pam was there and all doing that stuff. And, and that's how we, you know, that's how we first met Jay. So we, we were already familiar with him and everything. We, we had heard some of his music already uh, because he, is, I mean, this is like this industry stuff, you know, before uh, met him, he had sent a demo to Fred because he was, you know, and he had some material he was working on. So, and we had known about, about Jay from the Moss Brothers when they did their early stuff when they were younger. So, uh, so when we got, we were getting close to the end of, of the, uh, of the public project. And, uh, and we got, we got the opportunity to get, you know, our manager was like, hey, you know, we were like, we should get Jay Moss to do something. And, and we ended up getting Jay, um, he sent us, he sent us some material and we were like, mm, Okay, we want we want this song and we want that song, you know. And because we, <laughs> part of us was thinking, you know, Jay is gonna come out with his own project. We don't want Jay to have this particular child of God on his project coming out at the same time we got our project out. We want the hottest songs that you got. Give us those songs. Mm. So we uh, ended up having those, grabbing two of the songs, and uh, they. Jay is just a, just a good friend. Uh, he and Paul, uh, and they uh, great opportunity to Now, you mentioned Jay Moss and the Clark sisters. I believe Jay Moss is related to the Clark sisters, correct? Cousins. Mm -hmm. And the whole world got to see the impact of the Clark sisters on the music industry thanks to the Lifetime movie and how they influenced a generation of female R&B and gospel singers. So can we talk about real quickly their impact and also the impact of their mother, the late Dr. Maddie Moss Clark, who did not play? <laughs> um, we never got a chance to meet um, Dr. Clark. Um, but because we were, me specifically, um, while I was in Detroit, I, I became really, really good friends with Karen and, and Dorinda. Like I would, you know, I'd go to Karen's church sometimes. As a matter of fact, I was, I was at the church, Emmanuel, the night that, um, it's almost like that we all discovered that Kiki was going to be a beast like the the thing that her and karen would do where karen would sing something and then she'd have Kiara sing it it was a <clears throat> like a midnight musical it was by about 10 o'clock we had a musical at the church and they actually did that at the service and we were all like blown away like oh my gosh kiara's got it she's got it and she was curious about she was about 10 then and so we knew from that point she was about to be a, a powerhouse. So just that influence that the mother had that trickled all the way down. And and you hear, you know, in, in Kiara, Kiara is one of our dear friends. So I've worked on uh, a couple of her projects, you know. Um, but uh, just the, the Clark sisters being, you know, another one of those groups that you put in that category of trailblazers, you know, pioneers, trendsetters, because one of the premier female gospel um, groups of all time, period. P 
period, point blank. And like you said, uh, Maddie Moss didn't play. So I heard a lot of the stories and, you know, they, they would talk about it you know, when we would hang out and stuff. So, um, yeah, they, they've had, they've made a huge impact on, on the music industry, not just the gospel industry, the music industry, period. Um, so yeah, I, we, we really value their, their friendship and their support as well. Cause they, they love us like, like we their little brothers. Um, cause for them to even have us on the, the tour that they did over in, in London was, was huge. You know, this was after our commission days, we were, it was just me and Anson, we were just Dawkins and Dawkins. So, you know, being able to ride around with them in London was huge. And, um, so yeah, we, we really appreciative of them for that. Right, because the Clark sisters, like I stated, influenced countless female gospel R&B singers. I mean, Escape Covered, Living in Vain. You could hear their influence on SWV. We can go down the list of all of the female R&B groups and solo artists that were influenced by them. And let's talk about the impact of the Winans family. We could go down the list of all of the members of the Winans who have blazed trails, continuing to blaze trails, and how they just stamped their claim and their legacy, not only in gospel, but in the music industry. Anybody can take it. The, the Winans, of course, uh, they are, there's, there's nobody like the Winans. So, I mean, from you know, from the oldest to the youngest. I mean, they and cousins and sons and nephews and, you know, everybody uh, is able to sing and bring something to the table. And of course they, they're uh, the songs, the songs that they have, have been such a, a, a huge influence on the industry period, on other gospel artists, on other mainstream artists from Marvin and Carvin's right and Ronald with his choirs and and BB and CC Angie and Debbie uh, to to the wine face too Daniel you know Daniel uh, and and then you know Michael Regina I mean it's just so much so much and, and it's almost to me it's almost overwhelming almost overwhelming you know, the, the talent that's in that family and the sheer- Even with Joy. Yeah, Joy. She's, a, she's an actress, like- Deborah, you know. Yeah, Deborah Joy. I mean, her, her acting and, you know, singing, singing with Juan. And so it's just like all this, all this talent and all that, that God has blessed them with um, to be in and to be, and to know those guys. It, it's such a cool, such a cool thing to say, you know, to be able to say, We've done, you know, we've been able to do shows with, uh, when we were with Commission, we did shows with the Winans. And uh, so, you know, and, and even when I was in college, I got to, you know, do some uh, background singing for, for Vicky Winans. And that took me on some, you know, Winans, you know, they did a family, they, when, when they were doing a family tour, got to go out and do some stuff with them. And that's how I met Angie and Debbie. And, you know, so, um, they've been such a such a great had such a great impact on music. Period. They're, they they you know they were basically one of the you know first families you know of of gospel music and gospel royalty. Yeah, definitely gospel royalty. Yeah, it's definitely a shame if you're not able to sing in that family. You get skipped the singing gene. You definitely want to get that. But I want to talk about really quickly. I'm curious to know from this standpoint: is there an intersection 
between artists from the urban gospel world and the CCM world. For those of you that don't know, CCM is like the top 40 version of gospel where you have artists like Stephen Curtis Chapman, your Amy Grants, DC Talks, Toby Max are both worlds kind of separate and it don't really intermingle too much. From from our experience, they, they don't really they don't really intersect. Um, it's unfortunate, but it, it, it kind of is what it is. And um, unless you have a certain sound, you're not really going to get the attention of the CCM market. It just, it's, you know, your heel songs, your you know, worship, stuff like that. Um, that that genre of music can, can kind of mingle in there. Um, but yeah, it's it's a uh, it's like two two different lanes, mm -hmm. two different lanes. And so. you got a, you got a couple of people that been able to kind of you know get around there. Kirk gets around in there a little bit. Uh, you got Israel kind of got around in a circle, um, and as well you know like mm. now you have uh, uh, Maverick City. You know, like Ma like a Maverick City, or like um, uh, Jonathan Reynolds, that kind of that kind of deal. Um, but for the, I mean, it's you have artists that, that can that can get. We we haven't, you know, it hasn't been our our experience that. Uh, that we could move in those circles, you know, in a, in a treatment, treatment. So um, we've had a couple of different songs and, you know, tried to, tried to, you know, get over there because of, you know, the songs that they, you know, they wanted us to do. Uh, like on uh, the Necessary Measures Project, we had a song called in the Way that was geared more towards that. Uh, but not, nothing really, no real movement in that direction, but um, yeah. So they unfortunately they are they are kind of separate. Yeah, and it's a tricky lane to be in where you're able to straddle the line between both urban gospel, CCM, and then also we could put a third lane for mainstream because I can remember being a middle schooler and seeing "Stomp" by Kurt Franklin on yeah. rotation on MTV, and how yeah. he was like, "Whoa, this is a gospel artist." on MTV, BET, Soul Train. So can we talk about that trickiness of being able to stay true to the gospel roots, but also at the same time, have the mainstream exposure and have that mentality of be in the world, but not of it? I think at the end of the day, I can only speak for us. Um, I don't know what other people's um, motive or what their get down is but we just do music that is authentic to us and if it happens to cross so be it if it doesn't we're so okay with that like um because too many times people they they place these they place so much value on a certain sect or group that they they become a part of but I just feel like all of it is is to further the kingdom, and you know the separation is just it. 
that if if there was anything that annoyed me about the gospel music industry, it would be that. Um, because I feel like we're all we're all fishermen, period. We're not gonna all have use the same bait. We're not gonna all go out in the same type of boat. Some people will go out in the dinghy, some people will go out in the yacht, some people will go out in the you know, fishing boat, some people go out in the kayak. It's, it's, there's enough there's enough room in the ocean for everybody mm-hmm. to yeah. catch as many fish as they want to catch. Right. There's so many I just, different you know, ways to skin a cat. So right. many different ways. So many different ways to skin a cat. All right, so we're gonna fast forward a little bit after the focus album. You guys put out the 2011 project from now on. And one thing I appreciate about your guys' albums, something that is missed today in music, interludes. Mm. Funny that you should mention that because we <laughs> we actually didn't put one on this on on these first two volumes when we talked about it. And um I know for the next ones where we're we have some songs that we're considering doing uh, as interludes. So we're gonna bring those back because we know people they look for those interludes from us. Um so we we're, we're gonna do that again. Please do because I because those interludes I'm like man they, they need to go ahead and make those full tracks man but that, <laughs> for those that don't know interludes go look up a '90s album you'll find an interlude or a skit somewhere oh, oh, mixed yeah. in between so let's talk about yeah. your brand new project come by here and how did that come about and then also I want to talk about real quickly what was it like working with uh, Warren Baby Doug. Yeah. Yeah, what Warren is is so interesting. Um, I'll we'll go from there, and then we'll go back. Warren, in, in fact, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about the talk about the first, and then I'll let Eric talk about Warren because he happens to be with Warren right now. Um, but um, the the project never gets so never gets old. Volumes one and volume two, uh, which has you know our singles in my feelings. Uh, and, and the new single "Come By Here." Um, this was such a such a cool time for us. We we had time to kind of work on some music, and we compiled actually over thirty songs. And we wanted to we wanted to you know we were thinking about just throwing them all out there. And then we after after talking to a few you know a couple of different people, you know it was just like okay we need to have a better plan with this. Let's try to do something else. So. To, to release volumes and allow these particular volumes to have thematically speak to different things and actually have some some different uh, do this differently than uh, than than other gospel artists have done and uh, prayerfully you know it, it's going to work. We got a video out on in my feelings on YouTube. If you look on YouTube and playing it on BET as well and then we're getting ready to work on a uh, on a, a video for come by here as well so we've been you know this is this project this new project with this new project series volumes is is you know it's 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 something that's been such a blessing to release and to share because we feel like we have a gift and we want people to, to enjoy the gift but we're not in charge of how they enjoy it or if they do we believe that the people that are going to get it, the people that love it, that they're they're the ones that are supposed to they're the ones that you see. So um, but yeah, Warren, Warren is a great friend. And I'm gonna let Eric Eric just kind of give an idea of you know what it's like working with Warren is um 
<laughs> Ward is a, a, a unicorn <laughs> to me. Uh, he can do anything. He's one of my favorite producers, if not my favorite producer. Um, and working with him is, is it's like working with family. Warren is actually, he's one of the reasons that I am in Los Angeles. I remember one year, this is back in 95, I was um, in a play and um, I met Warren before, before 95. I met him like in 94 or something like 93, 94. Um, and this particular play when I was in Los Angeles, he was like, uh, hey man, why don't you uh, stay out? This was the, the last week of the play for the holiday season and we were about to go, I was about to go home. He's like, yo, bro, why don't, you, um, why don't you just stay out here for a week and we can work on some music. And so I ended up staying, extending my trip and staying in Los Angeles uh, with him. He, didn't even tell his parents. This is a funny story. He didn't even tell his parents. He brought me home. Like, hey, mom, dad, this is um, this is my boy Eric Dawkins from uh, he's singing the group Dawkins and Dawkins. Um, can he can he stay with us for a week? <laughs> like, Yo, this is great. And they just said, yeah, okay, cool. So during that time, he Warren was Warren's been in a lot of he moves in a lot of different circles. This this particular time, he was. He was uh, moving in the death, the death row circle, um, you know, because he did stuff over there. He knew Tupac. He had done stuff on Tupac's records. You know, uh, DJ Quick was like his mentor in the studio. So he took me to death row. And I was kind of, I ain't been scared too many times, but I was a little nervous. So two things. I didn't want to run into Suge. I don't know why, but at that time, like I'm coming from Ohio, I'm green. But um, long story short, he got me a gig playing with the band for this death row Christmas party up in the Hollywood Hills. Like, so I'm like in the studio rehearsing with them, you know, playing for people like Michelle, Danny Boy, um, some other cats. I met Tupac and Snoop at the studio. Um, so it was just a really, he embraced me. So from then we became like really, really close. I actually introduced him to Erica, his wife. Um, so we've been we've been close for years. So when it comes to us working together, it's like I said, it's like family. Like he can call and ask me to do something and I don't hesitate. Um, and vice versa, like the stuff that he does for us, it ain't no, you know, so um, that's gonna be, you know, he ain't gonna send us no invoice or anything like that. I don't send him invoices, we just, that's just how we work. So for him to lend his gift to us the way he does, you know, it's, 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 it's amazing because you don't, you don't find that too often. Right. Um, and he's super, super talented. Like we're, I'm in Houston right now. We're working on the Walls Group as we speak. Uh, I just like, I like watching him work. So I'm, I think I'm always gonna have him doing something on our projects. I remember the last project we were almost done. And he was, I said, yeah, what about them? And he's like, no, you're not. You ain't done. It's like no, we, we are. It's like, hey man, you ain't give me, you ain't give me no, no shot. It's like, hey man, come on, you got. I'm gonna give you. I get. I gave him a time, and he sent me a track. And um, best man ended up. He ended up doing best man on the last project, 
Um, and even on this part, I had I had him playing keys on another one like him. I had him play keys on there with me. And for this project, same thing. Last minute, I'm like, bro, I need something. What you, where you at? Project's almost done. Make me believe. Like, he always delivers. As busy as he is, he always comes through for me. Like he's three songs on Kanye's new record right now. So that's that tells you how busy he is. You never know where he's gonna come out that he's been on. But one is one of my favorite people. I know right. that was a lot, but that's mm-hmm. only that's the only way I can talk about one. Right. And you mentioned how it's rare to find a real person in the business because you can find a lot of people who are wolves in sheep's clothing, smiling your face, stabbing your back, say, I'm gonna do this for you. Three months later, still ain't happening. So I recommend anybody that's trying to get into this business, don't lose yourself in the business because if you do, it'll chew you up, spit you out, try to stay as centered as possible. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Stay as centered as possible. But I want to get you guys out of here on um, this question. So where do you guys see the direction of the current state of gospel music with a lot of the young artists, like you mentioned, Jonathan McReynolds, Gakira, you have Lecrae, you have Melvin Crispell third, who won Sunday Best a couple of seasons back, and just the new crop of young gospel artists that's coming in and doing the work of the Lord and reaching a younger audience. Because I saw recently a video on YouTube, it was Tori Kelly, Justin Bieber, and this other male singer whose name escapes me at the moment. But just to see an arena full of young people all saying, you know, I love God, I'm not ashamed, and just being sold out for Jesus. For yeah. me, it was a it was a welcome sight. Yeah. Chandler, Chandler Morris, who you thinking about? Thank you. Yeah. 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 I think that's that's uh super it's super important to for uh artists to have to, to, to influence where they can, to bring influence where they can. I think, you know, Chandler Moore, you know, Tori, Justin, you know, those guys getting into, into, into Christian music, gospel music, I think is a, is a great thing. Jonathan and Doe and uh, some, uh, John, John Houston, uh, you know, some great artists that are out um, that are making some great music and making some waves, and I think we're, I you know it's a it's a very it's a very interesting place because you have a lot of music that is in uh, in the mainstream that's coming out that honestly is you know it's it's a little you know it's it's there are a lot of things that are sounding just alike they're sounding the same and they're not making they're not making any huge uh, any huge impact as far as changes are concerned or bringing in innovation. Um, and then you have some, some gospel artists that are, that are coming out, that are stepping up and, and doing some really cool things. So I think uh, there is, is, is going nowhere but up. You know, there's, there's, a high, there's a big upside to this. And I, I'm glad that we get to be a part and we wanna, we wanna also be, you know, be able to mentor some of these guys as well. Uh, that are coming up and uh, and just be a part of the a part of the whole continue to be a part of the whole gospel rhythm and praise movement that is that is happening now. Mm, Eric, you want to expound upon what your brother said, or is that it? Yeah, that's that. He pretty much said it. 
pretty much said it all clean short sweet to the point now any to shout outs you guys want to give before we conclude this interview plug your social medias and i'm also issuing out putting out an apb warren baby the stanley brown jay moss you guys got an open invitation to come on beyond the album cover i mean my nickname was jay mace jay mace jay moss come on jay moss i'm calling you out baby dub calling you out <laughs> if you guys want to come on come on you guys got an open invite so shout out you guys want to give plug your socials E Dawkins, A Doc, Real Dawkins and Dawkins. Same thing on um, Twitter as far as A Doc and at E Dawkins. And D and D Music, D, the letter N, D Music on Twitter. Um, Facebook is Eric Dawkins and Anson Dawkins. And there's a Dawkins and Dawkins Facebook page as well. And our email address, Dawkins and Dawkins at gmail.com, if you just want to reach out to us. Uh, we do respond. Yeah, follow us and subscribe to us on on uh, on YouTube as well. You know, yes. Follow our to follow our music and what's going to be happening. Got lots of cool stuff that's going to be coming out, coming up uh, for the rest of the year. So keep looking out for it. Uh, we love we love getting the opportunity to share share our music and also to be in settings like this. And great to meet you, Jarrell. Appreciate what you're doing. Yeah, no problem. I appreciate you guys coming on. Thank you to Benita for setting this up. And you can catch yep. this interview on all streaming platforms and on my YouTube channel. Beyond the album cover is all over on Facebook, YouTube, all your socials. So follow me there. Ladies and gentlemen, Dawkins and Dawkins, Riverman Praise. Check them out. Thank you guys for coming on to Beyond the Album Cover. Thank you. Our so pleasure, much. bro. Yes, sir. <laughs>